Well, aloha from Maui. It's Michael Benner with this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm happy to be here and appreciative. Mahalo that you've elected to be with us as well. Every week we talk about personal and spiritual development in the Ageless Wisdom tradition. What that means is that there is a philosophy that runs like a golden thread through all cultures and all times, a kind of a consensus about who we are as human beings, as separated forms in what is arguably a spiritual universe, a universe that is first a universe of energy. And some of that energy then takes the form of matter or mass. Einstein's equation, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Because that's pretty much all we got is energy and mass. Well, to a philosopher, you can call that spirit and matter. And yet, there is a consciousness here between spirit and matter. At the interface of spirit and matter, even, is an awakeness, an awareness, a sentience. It's not enough to define the universe only as energy and form. The universe is awake. And at the top of that pyramid of awareness is the human being. Now, we're not alone up here. There's some other very intelligent creatures up here. In fact, we may not even be at the top. It could be that quails and dolphins and certain other animals have very high brain functioning, and we're the ones that just aren't smart enough to figure it out. But um, we're near the top of the pyramid, if, if, if not supreme. But rather than suggesting some sort of right to dominate all other life forms, animal, plant, mineral even, I'm suggesting dominion, not domination, but um, even in the Judeo-Christian Bibles, there's reference to having dominion over the lower kingdoms, which is caretaker status. Not domination, but caretaker status for this is our life support system. Well, the ageless wisdom recognizes all of these kingdoms and the role of the human being having dominion over the lower kingdoms. Today we're going to talk about a form of self-management or emotional intelligence, which is how do we deal with negativity in our lives, particularly sadness, depression, a sense of desperation, despair. That's really our topic today, despair. I don't know that previous to a week or so ago when I started preparing this program, I'd really put those two words together, despair and desperation. Um, when somebody mentions it to you, as I am now, it's pretty clear that the root of desperation is despair. But I'd never really even thought of it that way. It just had never even occurred to me until I started thinking about despair. And the current situation that we're in, 
on planet Earth. These are certainly difficult and, and trying times, and it's easy to despair, to feel, in other words, as if there is no hope. And that would be my one best, simplest definition of despair, a feeling that there's just no hope. Um, nothing is ever going to get better. A lot of people live in despair. And in past programs and also in the FocusedPassion.com programs that Steve and I do, the uh, premium audio series, Finding Yourself in Paradise, we've talked about how people will try to sort of hedge their bets against disappointment by lowering their expectations, by uh, refusing to set goals, by accepting that there are periods of despair and, and periods where we're not only desperate but, and, and, and sad and depressed, but absolutely powerless. If we always consider that we have power, that things will get better, that despair is an opportunity to learn about yourself, to better understand yourself, uh, I think a lot of people in that case would be afraid that they'll be disappointed if things don't turn around, if they get to the end of the tunnel and there is no light. And uh, so... Rather than face the disappointment, they, they cling to despair. And it becomes, for many people, a lifestyle. And they don't want to hang around positive, optimistic people, so they will take their depression and their sadness and look for other people who are sad and depressed and create a club or a, <laughs> a, a gang, a, uh, a gaggle, uh, a group of people who are all negative and and desperate, uh, suffering from despair, and sharing this fear that if they become optimistic, they're going to end up disappointed, and that would be crushing. Well, whenever we get into this topic, we like to remind you that one thing you can count on in this life is change. Just as the spiritual realm is permanent, that is um, eternal and infinite, so the material world that comes out of it is obviously a world of form and a world of change, where nothing is permanent, where everything is impermanent and constantly in a state of flux right down to the atomic level where electrons are flashing in and out of existence and the subatomic particles of which those electrons and protons and neutrons are made are even more ghostly in their tendency or ability to disappear from one place and, and appear someplace else as if testing every probability before resting on your expectation. And even the observer effect, so-called, though 60 or 70 years since it's been understood and accepted, is 
not understood by the vast majority of people. It's it's actually quite frightening to consider uh, to many people, especially those who are, you know, by their nature negative and and depressed and sad and despairing. The the idea of the observer effect is that your consciousness or your expectation plays a role in creating reality. And this sounds very metaphysical and very mystical, and indeed it is. But an empirical scientist will tell you that technically reality that you see and touch and hear and taste and smell is only there when you pay attention to it. It's assembled inside your head. Something is out there. But the way we perceive it is very personal and very subjective. And so, too, it would be with your overall attitude. Is your attitude positive? Is it hopeful? Are you enthusiastic? Do you know things are going to change? I mean, (laughs) one side of that is no matter how good things are for you right now, you can count on that turning around and you're going to have a down period in your life. The idea is to anticipate it, account for it, minimize the effect that it has on you. But the upside is that any time you are sad, depressed, uh, desperate, suffering from despair, you can remind yourself, well, this too shall pass. It always does. Okay? I think that's where we have to begin, is an idea, an understanding, heck, a realization that Everything about the physical world is changing, uh, dancing, uh, recycling around and around, um, born, existing, and then dissolved. Um, I use that Heraclitus or Heraclitus quote a lot about no man steps in the same river twice. It's a classic Greek allegory for the impermanence of things, or again, the timelessness of things. That's why time is an illusion, because in the spiritual realm, where there is no time, things are permanent and and unchanging in the energy. You can't destroy energy, you cannot create energy. Even the empirical scientist will tell you there are laws of conservation of mass and energy. You just can't use it up. So, on the spiritual or non-physical level, the energy level, there there is really no change. Uh, everything still adds up. But in the world of physical form, quite the opposite is true. Nothing lasts. Everything is in decay. Everything cycles around and around. Well, you can count on that. Um, And before leaving the topic of disappointment, (laughs) you can deal with that as well. You can learn to handle disappointment. In fact, check out the archives at the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School here, theagelesswisdom.com, or the archives over at FocusedPassion.com for programs that we've done on this 
very idea of um, the, uh, the, the temporal nature, the idea that all things will pass, and how to manage disappointment. There's, we talk about it on a number of programs, a variety of titles. Look through the archives on both of those websites, and, and you'll find programs that talk about that. So that's really good. I mean, even even that the best of times will eventually um, change and not be such great times, um, as well as its complement. Things are bound to get better soon. Uh, that's the variety that you could argue, if nothing else, is the spice of life. And as we become more conscious, men and women, as we understand ourselves and our role in the universe better, we can anticipate these changes, whether it's something great that's starting to go south or desperation that's starting to get better. You can anticipate it, and then you can account for it. You can adjust for it. Uh, you can get out in front of it like uh, you know, a surfer that, that paddles out into the water before he sees the big wave. And he's out there or she's out there on their surfboard waiting for the wave, already in position, right? Knowing it's coming. It's coming. We can learn to manage our lives that way. And we can certainly deal with disappointment if we remember these laws of flux, of, of change, of, of impermanence in the physical world. I like the pendulum. I mention the pendulum often as an allegory. It's rich. It's deep. Don't dismiss the fact that you've heard me say it before. Every time I bring it up, ponder it a little because it's quite profound. The idea that the bottom end of the pendulum swings to and fro while the top end is fixed. Uh, remember your geometry from high school. A point on a graph, whether it's two-dimensional XY or three-dimensional XYZ, a point in space takes up no space. It's a location. It's merely a location. So you move up the pendulum from the yin and the yang, the positive and negative polarities of that pendulum at the bottom, at the base, swinging back and forth, move up that thread, up that, that, that rope or that chain to the top, and the, the variance, the flux, gets less and less. The change is less and less dramatic until at the very top it's fixed. Again, eternal, infinite, taking up theoretically no space at all existing outside of the three dimensions of space and time, but extending itself, the pendulum, down into form, and the deeper into form it goes, the broader the variance, the greater the variance. I'll do a program on the pendulum and compare it to a bar magnet. Um, because it has its electromagnetic properties in this allegory. And we'll also talk at some point in the near future about what happens when you set the pendulum into a motion that not only goes back and forth, 
but a three-dimensional around and around as well. And yet at the top, again, it's eternal, infinite, and fixed. So there's your idea of the world of energy or the world of spirit is unchanging and eternal and infinite, whereas the bottom of the pendulum, the world of matter, the world of, of material uh, separated form is constantly changing. So our life incarnate is always going to change. And so here we are doing a program on despair, on sadness, on desperation. What What's more important than knowing that it's going to change? That um, What's the Beatles song? Got to admit it's getting better. Getting better all the time. And of course, the Beatles, being somewhat sarcastic, have the little chorus that comes in. Can't get any worse. <laughs> so it got to admit it's getting better. Can't get no worse. Bad English, but that's okay. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that. And that's the good news. And also a wise woman and man um, are individuals who can account for the opposite as well. When things are going really, really well, don't be surprised if something happens. You get a cold or a flu or, um, you know, somebody pushes a shopping cart into your car. Um, God forbid the kinds of things that, that could happen uh, to make your life worse. But that's just part of the natural change and impermanence and, and cycling of things round and round and round. Again, um, I'll make a mental note to do a, a program on the pendulum and the bar magnet as an allegory of the relationship of, of energy to mass and spirit to matter in the near future. It's very profound, very deep. Maybe you know the author Umberto Eco and um, Foucault's pendulum or Foucault's pendulum, which uh, is very profound, very deep, and he works that allegory as well. Now, the one thing that you do not want to do or need to do in this regard is lower your expectations, although not everybody would agree with that either. I came across recently a website called uh, despair.com. Uh, <laughs> honest. Hold on a sec. Wait. Grab a, a little sip here. Of this. All right, so what in the world are they selling at despair.com? Well, they're selling, believe it or not, demotivational posters. I don't know how well this website is doing, but <laughs> I know you've seen ads or maybe you've been at businesses or, or companies that have these big glossy posters on the wall that are designed to motivate you. And it may say risk or winning or victory or uh, courage or whatever. And then below is a little statement, a little positive aphorism to encourage you to strive to be the best you can be. Well, these jokers at uh, <laughs> Despair Inc. or Despair.com believe that a better approach is to demotivate people 
to create success by lowering expectations. I swear to God. Um, on the surface, it just sounds crazy to me, but I, I guess some people find this appealing. They're selling these posters for, what is it, $15, $16? I guess most of them are fifteen ninety-five, And uh, they look nice, nice high-quality posters, but the statements are hilarious. And I, 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 I guess there's a culture out there of people that really believe the best way to create success is to lower your expectation. But <laughs> it seems odd to me that wouldn't be success. That's like giving up or giving in and then calling it success when you only ran 13 miles of the marathon, right? But uh, nevertheless, here they are selling these. But let me, let me share some of the some of the statements on these posters. For example, here's one that shows the Pyramids of Giza. This beautiful, great, glossy poster, the Pyramids of Giza. Underneath, in big print, it says, Achievement. And then if you get up close, you see it says underneath, You can do anything you set your mind to when you have vision, determination, and an endless supply of expendable labor. Is that, is that really something you want to hang on the wall at work? Here's one, apathy. Big poster to hang at work, right? In the employee lunchroom someplace. It says, if we don't take care of the customer, maybe they'll stop bugging us. In a picture of a telephone. Um, I, I, You know, they're funny, uh, if nothing else, but I think these people take themselves seriously. Maybe I'm missing the joke. Maybe they're only supposed to be funny and nobody really takes them seriously. Uh, let's see. Here's one that says cluelessness. And the aphorism, the statement is, there are no stupid questions, but there are a lot of inquisitive idiots. I think, you know, even if you put this up as a joke, it, it would encourage a lot of people to, again, fall back on their expectation to, to be afraid, in this case, to ask a question lest you appear maybe not stupid, but just an inquisitive idiot. Um, here's one that says failure, and it's a runner sitting on a bench, obviously having lost the race. He's bent over, his head is in his hands, and the, the word is failure. And underneath it says, when your best just isn't good enough. Right? Accept it. That's crazy. Um, let's see. <laughs> see if I can do a couple of more for you here. Uh, here's one that says, get to work. You aren't being paid to believe in the power of your dreams. You are not being paid to believe in the power of your dreams. It's hard to believe anybody would, <laughs> would hang these posters. Uh, here's one called idiocy. Never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. Um, here's, you know, the poster, that, the big glossy poster that's just a single drop of water exactly at the point where the drop impacts the pool of water and it radiates out. Such a beautiful poster. In this case, it says in big letters, irresponsibility. 
and the aphorism is, no single raindrop believes it is to blame for the flood. I don't know. I, again, I, I, I tend to believe this is uh, pretty much a put-on, but I got a kick out of it when I came across it on the web this morning and thought I'd share it with you. I think there are people that do that, though. You know, it's like, get real, lower your expectations. Well, to do that is to reject the fundamental law of mind that you reap what you sow. Again, this is found in both the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible. Uh, it's found in Eastern philosophy and Hinduism and Buddhism and Jainism and Taoism and Shintoism as karma. Even, I think, um, other Eastern religions as well. And I, I'm not that familiar with Islam, but I'd be amazed if there wasn't a version of karma or you reap what you sow in um, the philosophies of the Koran and the culture that surrounds that. I know there is a great Sufi saying from Islam that uh, you should pray to God but tie your camel first. I always thought that was rather clever and put things in perspective. But I don't know of a society or a culture whether again, you look at its religion or its cultural philosophy that doesn't have a sense of what goes around comes around. What you put out, you tend to get back. That Again, we reap what we sow. We go where we look. We tend to get what we expect. This is the great irony of life, that whatever is your philosophy of life and the way it works, don't you see, you tend to generate evidence that you're absolutely right. And so the pessimist has ample evidence that the smartest people are pessimists. Look, he says, I have all this proof, all of this evidence. I was negative, and sure enough, all this negative stuff happened. Everybody should be a pessimist. Somebody over here, um, maybe they're not exactly... in. Uh, a pessimist, they just believe in the chaos theory. They believe there's no justice, no fairness, nothing ever works out uh, the way you expect it to. Everything is random. Uh, you may not even have free will. It's all fate and destiny. Well, don't you see, according to the laws of mind, that you reap what you sow, um, Whatever is the seed you plant, that's what it's going to grow. You plant watermelons, you're not going to get anything but watermelon seeds. <laughs> and if you rip up your garden and deliberately get on your knees and plant weeds and briars and brambles, well, that's what you're going to get, weeds and briars and brambles. And the mind, nourished by the heart, is just as fertile. Uh, there are countless allegories to this. And so, if that's the case, it's imperative that we be as positive, as enthusiastic, and as optimistic as possible, because that's the way you create the positive outcome. Um, you're going to hang one poster on the wall at work, <laughs> that might be a pretty good one to, to hang. Uh, you reap what you sow, you go where you look, and you get what you expect, you know. Even in physics, we have for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And 
And the golden rule of all philosophies is to treat other people as you'd like to be treated because that's the way it tends to work out. That's the golden rule, karma in relationships. It's simple enough. The implications and ramifications are mind-boggling, but once fully understood, even partially understood, it's imperative that we be as positive as possible, but also look at the negative so as to understand it, to face our fear, even move toward it, even embrace it so as to understand it, and then transmute the fear, the ignorance, the confusion, and the negativity. Today's theme, the despair. We can transmute that, redeem it, uplift it, resurrect it, save it. What religious term do you want to use? Not just one life, but every problem you have can be saved, resurrected, you know, ascended, transmuted is the alchemical term. Um, every, every negative situation contains the seeds of its own solution. It's been said, and I think you can prove to yourself with a little experimentation in your life, that you never get a problem that does not contain the seeds of its own solution. Your job is to find those seeds and nurture them. And I'm going to argue that that's true not only for problems, that's true for all negative thoughts and feelings. I'm going to argue today that, and I have argued yesterday and will argue tomorrow, that despair then, desperation, the feeling that there is no hope, demands examination. So that you find the seeds of hope contained within it. That you remind yourself that in spite of appearances, there is always hope. Things will always change. And the best thing you can do is get better. Um, I, I turned away from this website I was reading from, but I remember that earlier this morning one said, uh, you know the phrase, it's always darkest before the dawn? One of these demotivating posters said, they must be a joke, that it's always darkest before it goes completely black. <laughs> I, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn means when things in your life are really dark and dismal, it's time to start getting excited because it can't last. It's got to get better. When things are at their worst, that's when things turn around. Okay. Now, this is why good things happen to, uh, this is why bad things happen to good people. It's also why good things happen to bad people. In other words, good and bad things happen to all people. Right? The, the religious, albeit fundamental uh, religion, only, only the most fundamental religion would support the idea that God is constantly intervening in your life and constantly rewarding you uh, for your good behavior and punishing you for your bad behavior. Um, uh, 
there are laws, just like laws of physics, there are laws of metaphysics and karma and reincarnation. They go hand in hand. I'm not going to talk about reincarnation today, but in discussing karma, it's sort of hard to talk about the law of karma without mentioning the law of reincarnation. They really go hand in hand. That is law. And again, because it's understood to be spiritual in nature, it's unchanging law. Right? It's not the temporal, everything changes, nothing is permanent, nothing lasts, this too shall pass, kind of law that goes with the physical universe. Um, so what are we saying here? That, that when things are really bad, darkest just before the dawn, it's time to begin to get really excited. Into every, what's that saying? Into every life a little rain must fall. There's, there's some things that you say nothing good can come from. Uh, somebody you love dies an untimely death, a great tragedy, some gross injustice or, or unfairness. And often despair comes out of this appearance of gross injustice and and the idea that this is major disappointment and I'm never going to recover from it. And yet we do heal. We do recover. Uh, time heals and we can accelerate that healing. And the ageless wisdom says you can know that and, again, anticipate it and, and account for it and adjust your behavior knowing that when things are very gloomy and dark and desperate, that they've got to get better, even if you do nothing. But if you do something, you see, to plan for it, you're going to recover even sooner. There is in mystical Christianity a concept uh, first named by St. John of the Cross, a Spanish monk, a student of St. Teresa of Avila, and St. John of the Cross wrote famously about uh, 400 years ago, I think, um, The Dark Night of the Soul, a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. Now, if this book is taken literally, he's talking about a lifetime among many lifetimes, where just before a great spiritual breakthrough, one has to suffer the feeling of being completely abandoned by God. You might say, why would a Christian mystic believe in reincarnation? Well, most do, Christian or otherwise, believe in reincarnation. Christ taught reincarnation, talked about being born again, the need to be born again, you have a sense, I'm sure, of how that's been twisted. The fundamentalists say you've got to take the Bible literally, but here's an example where they're not interested in taking you must be born again literally, right? Um, there are numerous references to reincarnation through the New Testaments, and you can do a little bit of Google research if you're really serious about it, and and flush those out. That wasn't really, I'm not really prepared to do that. That's not my topic for the day today. But um, 
this 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 idea of karma and reincarnation. Where was I going with this? That um, Saint John of the Cross, in writing the Dark Night of the Soul, even though it was about a a given lifetime, a particular lifetime, you can easily see how it would apply to periods in a given lifetime. Uh, periods where you feel very much abandoned by any sense of God or uh, a divine overseer or a creator that has your, your best interest in mind. That This is people where and when people struggle with their faith. And why would uh, God allow this to happen, or why would God cause this to happen? But remember, by and large, we're still really infants, especially in religion. We have people petitioning God at uh, high school football games to intervene. You know, if there was a prayer before a high school football game um, that, that nobody get hurt, and everybody enjoy themselves, I'd understand that. But the idea of asking God to intervene on one side or the other in the high school football game, that's like heresy. It's blasphemy. And yet most religious people haven't even sorted that out yet. The confusion between God and Santa Claus, I, I guess, or between Jesus and Santa Claus, is something we talk about sometimes at Christmas and and need to keep revisiting. You know, Santa Claus has a big wish book, and God has a big book where he writes everything down. Again, you know, petitioning God to uh, to intervene in that way, is uh, in that selfish way, you know, uh, just for you, without regard to the impact on the one life, on everybody else, is, uh, well, philosophically, it's evil. Uh, anytime you attempt to manipulate a spiritual power for your interest without regard to the impact it has on other people, that's technically evil. That's black magic. And uh, the churches don't tell you that. But, you know, I'm not going to say that's the way it is, but in, in the ageless wisdom traditions, it's a pretty low bar. It's... Uh, it's not that evil starts only if you want to hurt somebody. Evil starts if you just don't care you see, about anybody other than yourself. If you put yourself ahead of humanity, if you put your separated, isolated, alienated, lonely ego ahead of anybody in a spiritual sense, that's evil. It really is. So... This idea of the dark night of the soul of a friend of mine, the author, philosopher, Andrew Harvey, wrote a book that was an homage to St. John's dark night of the soul. Um, Andrew called it the sun at midnight. And it's the same idea that we got to remember that everything cycles, everything goes round, everything changes. Um, the sun at midnight is like, hey, it's dark out. Uh, where'd the sun go? I've been abandoned. Uh, there's no sun in my life, no light, no warmth. Uh, what am I going to do? I've been abandoned by the sun. Forgetting that in a matter of hours, as it gets darker and darker and darker, 
it's always darkest just before the dawn. And suddenly, you see this little hint of light in the eastern horizon as the earth turns and rotates you back into direct sunlight. And that will happen in your life. It always does. If you remember this basic lesson of impermanence in the physical world, that nothing lasts, everything changes, and then knowing that, I can adjust for it, account for it, and remind myself that I'm going to have difficult times in my life, but I can deal with it, all right? Every problem contains the seeds of its own solution, and every heartache and sense of desperation and despair has within it the seeds of its own solution. If you will but close your eyes, breathe, relax, and contemplate your despair in this situation, your sense of sadness or depression, your feeling that there is no hope, that nothing will ever be the same. I'll never recover. It'll never, ever be okay. All you're doing is prolonging, if anything. If you are having an impact, it would just be to prolong your suffering with that kind of funky negative attitude. Also to ignore or deny your depression, your sadness, your despair, to push it away or to mask it with drugs or alcohol or being a workaholic or a shopaholic or a sexaholic. It's all good. It's, you can push it away, but it's not going anyplace. It's just going to stay there. But if you turn and face the negative, face your fear, in this case, face your despair, and move directly into it and want to say, what are the, what's in the heart of this thing? What is this really all about? What if these philosophers that Benner keeps talking about from all cultures and all times, the ageless wisdom, esoteric philosophy, the perennial philosophy, uh, mysticism, uh, Prisca theologia, the ancient teachings, whatever you want to call this body of knowledge, time and time again in all cultures, in all societies, you have this understanding that everything cycles, everything changes, everything has an in-breath and an out-breath, and there are laws of karma and laws of mind that allow us to adjust. Both things are true. Right? You can adjust and account for the negative, anticipate it coming, and when you're sitting in the middle of really dark times, the dark night of the soul, the sun at midnight, uh, where is it? It's abandoned me. What will I do now? I'm so desperate in such despair. First thing to do is know that it'll end. The second thing to do is begin to plan what you're going to do as things get better and better and better. And finally, in the sense that every problem, and I'm arguing every situation, every emotional hurt. How about if we say every mental problem, but also every emotional heartache has the, the seeds of the solution, of the resolution within it. 
This is a call, again, to face deeply, ideally in meditative levels, levels of deep relaxation, to look directly at what scares you the most. This is an understanding that we see in Eastern philosophy more than Western philosophy, but it's been proven now by modern contemporary psychotherapy. Uh, In many ways, Buddhism and similar philosophies like Taoism in the East are less a religion than they are a form of psychotherapy. Uh, Buddha was not a prophet so much as he was a good counselor. Um, The word God was never mentioned by Buddha. In fact, it's said that whenever he was asked about God, he remained silent. He said nothing. He had no opinion on the topic, right? Because to a Buddhist, everything is God. And yet everything added together is just the beginning of a totality that could never be fully understood or appreciated. So why even bother, right? Let's look at the practical, what am I going to do now stuff, right? And to face your fear and to face your heartache, to even move into it and toward it, to sit with your despair, to not push it away, not ignore it, and not deny it, but to get into a meditative or contemplative level of mind and watch your heartache, to detach, to get the bigger picture, take one step back in your mind and look at it and stare right into the middle. I know it's scary. I know it feels hurtful. Um, It can even create uh, a variety of other negative feelings, Uh, even uh, a sense of gross injustice and, and, and anger and rage and hatred. If it's not dealt with, if it's not managed properly, quickly, directly. But if you'll sit and watch it, if you'll look to the heart of it, if you consider that every problem, and now you understand every heartache as well, has the seeds of its solution or resolution contained within it, then by relaxing and mindfully detaching, contemplating and pondering what most people are terrified to look at, you could accelerate this whole process, this whole yin and yang, this whole recycling. And though you might want to linger in the positive stuff and not accelerate that part of the cycle, you could accelerate the downward part of the cycle and move through the dark night of the soul, move through your, your funk, your sadness, your depression, your sense of despair uh, with positive statements like things are going to get better. Well, they got to get better. Well, they always do. They always have. And, you know, it couldn't get any worse and everything changes. So let's begin to plan now that getting better. Let's begin to plan. What am I going to do as I 
regain my sense that there is hope and then even begin to see a little bit of light on the horizon coming of the dawn oh here it comes i knew it would and i'm already in the process of planning my recovery okay socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living and it's odd that despair and desperation and depression leaves us with a similar affect that life is just not worth living. So it would have to be somewhat ironic that studying our despair shows us the reason for living, which is to understand it. No, I think the purpose of life simply is to grow, to learn, to heal, to understand. But another way to say the same thing is to learn to master your fear. To learn to face what most people refuse to face. To learn to understand and thereby redeem your ignorance into understanding your negative into positive, the evil into goodness. Right? If everything that hurts and upsets you Everything that's dark and evil is essentially ignorance and confusion and things you don't know and are not aware of, especially about you. Then the more you know those things, the better agent of transformation you are. The better you are in your own life of converting fear into love or evil into good. Uh, that's a wonderful thing to be able to do for yourself. Because not only do you benefit, but then you're able to help other people do the same thing. One of the great changes of this new age that we're moving into, this 21st century, is understanding that the model we've relied upon of good over evil for the last 20 centuries, the last two millennia, has been a paradigm of good conquering evil by killing evil, eradicating evil. Love has to slay evil. An odd thing, right? Uh, for goodness to have to do. How could good kill or destroy anything? Well, if you lift that model of good over evil, St. George slaying the dragon, from good versus evil to love versus fear, that in and of itself transforms, uh, refines the model. Because unlike good killing evil so as to eradicate it, love redeems fear through understanding. Again, if love is what you know, and it is. All of your love-based feelings are reflections of what you know about yourself. Everything that makes you happy. And, and everything that is fear-based and negative represents something you don't know. So if you can see that dichotomy of good versus evil, on a higher turn of the spiral, love versus fear, it's easy to see that Good doesn't have to conquer or kill evil. If you call good love and, and evil fear, 
Well, now love can redeem the fear. It doesn't have to kill the fear. It moves into the fear to understand it and to save what there is to be learned in our fear, in our desperation, leaving the rest behind. These are called, in, in the wisdom tradition, laws of harmony. In theosophy, it's, the, it's called the fourth ray, a subsidiary of divine love. Harmony through conflict. Seeing yourself as an agent of change, of, of alchemical transmutation that faces fear again and again and again. Evil you might want to either kill or run away from, fight or flight. But fear you always face, right? Unless it's immediate danger, but 99% of what you fear is not danger, it's just things unknown. Therefore, you must face it to know it. Always face your fear. Face your heartache. Face your desperation. Embrace it. As if the part of you that is sad and depressed and so filled with despair is just a part of you that needs to be loved and, and encouraged and comforted like a little child after a bad nightmare. How do you do that? How do you, how do you comfort a child after a bad nightmare? That's redundant, right? All nightmares are bad. <laughs> After a bad dream or a nightmare, you you hug them, you make contact, you embrace them so that they feel safe. You may rock them or sing a little lullaby. You say positive things like, well, that was just a dream and it's all over now and everything is going to be okay. And don't worry, I'm here to take care of you and protect you. Talk to yourself that way when you suffer depression, heartache, and despair. Comfort yourself as if this is a part of you that just had a bad dream or a nightmare and needs some love, needs a hug. Your little damaged, bruised, and battered ego needs your higher self, your spiritual self, to come to the rescue and say, don't worry. Nothing lasts forever. Everything changes in this world of form. Things will get better. They always do. Everything is evolving and growing and healing, and you can learn from this and even amplify or accelerate the process, if you will, but embrace your despair, not be afraid of it at all, okay? So, with that, let me go back to the board and see if we have any questions. Again, if you're on the telephone and you'd like me to unmute so that you can talk to us on the phone, press star 2 if you have a question or a comment. On the telephone touchpad, star 2 will indicate on my console here that you have a question. And um, let's 
see. If you're uh, on the web, as most people appear to be today, most days that's the case, and you have a question or a comment, just type it into the box. It's on the left side, sort of a dark gray box. If you don't see it, click the button that says Ask a Question. The box will open up. You type in there. Be sure and add your name and uh, your city, and then hit the Submit button. If you don't click Submit, uh, I'm not going to be able to see that. So let's go to, first of all, the text questions. I don't see any hands raised on the telephone just yet. And um, let's see. Let's start with uh, Donna in Albuquerque. Good morning, Donna. She says, Buenos dias from New Mexico. Um, I enjoyed your talk today. I had a very stressful week and was very ready today to get my spiritual fix from the ageless wisdom, and I got a lot out of it. I I think when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and I was ready, and uh, lo and behold, here you are. How cool is that? Thanks so much. I, I really can't believe the workshop is free. Yes, indeed. Uh, thanks, Diane, and uh, my pleasure to be able to do this. We do all of these programs free. We have the uh, social net, theagelesswisdom.ning.com, that's free. We have a Thursday night video conference that's free. We have a newsletter that's free. And we do have this 99-cent premium podcast that supports it all. So, again, uh, it's always good to, you know, it's easy to, to, to forget to mention this. But I'd really love to encourage you to, man, if you like any of this free stuff, I think you're going to love the the 99-cent program that Steve and I do. I know Diane subscribes uh, in Albuquerque. I, I've seen her name on the list, and she gets the FocusedPassion.com programs, three ninety six a month. And uh, I can't say that they're always going to be that price. 99 cents for a 45 or 50 minute program with two of us in conversations along these lines. But see, not only will you get a second stream, the Wisdom School and the Focus Passion programs, we call that series Finding Yourself in Paradise, but you'll have the satisfaction in knowing you're helping to support all the other activities we do. I think that counts for something. Uh, so check that out at focusedpassion.com. There's an ED in there. It's the w's.focusedpassion.com. Uh, in Irvine, Robert Fiegel's with us, and he says, uh, great class, Michael, aloha. Um, I've come to realize that no matter how bad my day is, the next day will be that much better and greater and and to go into a state of depression only prolongs the negative state of mind. Every cloud really does have a silver lining. Thanks, Michael, for the great insight. And have a magical week. Thank you, Robert. Uh, Lorelei Hatch is in Tucson. She says, Aloha, Michael. Everybody goes through rough times. The difference is how you respond to the situation. And I finally learned to apply relaxed thinking to a stressful situation and look for solutions instead of simply tolerating frustration. Peace and love to you and Doreen. 
Thank you, Lorelai. It's always good to hear from you. Carol in La Habra. Hello, Carol. She says, I remember my mother saying about marriage, don't expect anything and you won't be disappointed. <laughs> well, there is that attitude, I suppose. On the other hand, who is it in uh, Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass, the Alice in Wonderland, book two? I think it's the, um, not the White Rabbit, I think it's the White Knight. Because the second book, Through the Looking Glass, is sort of a chess game, right? You can actually lay the characters out on a chessboard and through the looking glass. And I think the White Knight, Carol says, if you're prepared for everything, then nothing can surprise you. I like that one uh, even a little better. But thanks, your, thank your mom for that. There, there is a wisdom in there for sure. And I like Patricia Vega. Hello, Patricia. She says, Aloha, Michael. Aloha, Doreen. Just wanted to say that I think that when you think things are not what you expect, you just have not understood the whole picture. That's a very nice way to say that. Yeah. Zoom out. <laughs> There's more. You know, it's, it's not that you have to deny the negative. Uh, when we talk about truth, in philosophy and what is true and this is different this is true and this is different so this must not be true well not necessarily this can be true and this thing that's different could also be true if you would just zoom out enough to see the bigger picture but we're so attached right because of our stress and anxieties we we cling and then think, well, I've found this truth, so everything that's even slightly different must not be true. Really, you're too close to it. You gotta, you gotta, as Patricia says, take a step back. That's what mindful detachment is. See the bigger picture and then say, oh, lo and behold, this is different, but it's also true, which is uh, relative truth. A lot of people think all truths are absolute. No, not down here, not in this world. Phil in Canoga Park says, uh, hello, Michael. Let's see. This a lot of, some of this is personal anyway. He says, uh, I will be here every Sunday. Sorry, I don't talk to you as much as I'd like, but I will be here every Sunday for the mystery school. That's good, Phil. I appreciate that. Do what you can. Carol Postel. Oh, we already said hi to Carol. She just said hi the first time and left a comment that we already shared about her mom the second time. Let me refresh. We have a few others. Virginia Jimenez in Los Angeles. Hello, Virginia. She says, hi, Michael. Is there a practical guide that you can recommend for successful goal setting as one of the many ways out of desperation? I have found that balancing a life rooted in the consciousness of the spiritual world with the demands of the material and time-dominated world is especially difficult challenge for people who have suffered dissociative disorder, 
or for left brain people like myself, that means just very logical, reasonable people. Uh, thanks, Michael, for the great work you do. Uh, let's see. Can I recommend a practical guide for successful goal setting? I'd have to think about that, Virginia. Let me, uh, I mean, we talked a few weeks ago about when I think of goal setting, I think of a dynamic process of, number one, do I know what I want? And number two, do I know how to get there once I, <laughs> once I know I want it? So in my FLY program, Feeling Like Yourself, we talk about decision-making and problem-solving. The decision-making is, do I know what I want? Setting the goal. And then problem-solving is, well, now that I know what I want, do I know how to get there? And those are very different techniques. So you can check the archives, that's uh, sessions four and five, and if the problem is just I don't know what I want, if, if you mean literally by goal setting, just I don't know what I want. And once I know what I want, I'm pretty good at getting it, but I, 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 I don't really often know what I want. Uh, the answer is to dream. Uh, the answer, again, you, you identify yourself as a left-brained person. Maybe you've been told not to dream or to get your head out of the clouds and be real, get your feet on the earth, as if dreaming was not a practical thing to do. And my argument is that against the backdrop of nature, at the very least, against the backdrop of nature, Everything that exists in this world started as a dream. And, uh, I mean, arguably, even nature started as a dream, but let's just keep it simple and easy for everybody here. Against the backdrop of the world that we've inherited, nature, so to speak, Mother Earth and the mineral, plant, animal kingdoms, Everything we have, everything, I mean, every possession, this computer, my car outside, the, the road that it drives down, the whole idea of building a road, um, it's all, it all starts with dreams. Dreams are the seminal step. So I like what the motivator Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. You have to have a goal before you can move toward it. In fact, the purpose of the goal is more to determine a direction than to state an outcome that you're determined to reach. You just want to get moving in a given direction. Avoiding what you don't want, moving away from the center of the circle, um, that's good in an emergency, but Avoiding what you don't want and running away, obviously, is not going to take you to a dream. You've got to, you know, even if even if that's what it takes to get off dead center and create some momentum, you still have to very quickly orient yourself toward what you do want, and that requires a dream. So you can dream at night, 
or you can dream in a meditative level and uh, set some goals that way. Why not? Especially if the dream that you have, it could be for a possession, it could be for a relationship, it could be for some event or a circumstance. Um, as I said a moment ago, having that dream, dreaming that dream, immersing yourself in that dream, even though you're saying, well, it's just my imagination. Well, yeah, but that's how things start. Uh, that's the necessary first step. I like what Thoreau says about build your castles in the sky. That's where they belong. That's where they're supposed to be. And then put foundations under them. Um, so I like, you're asking for a book. I, I recommend the, um, the book that simply called It Works by R.H.J. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of my listeners, Tony, told me it's even an iPhone app, the It Works book. But it was written 50, 60 years ago. The author is a guy named Jarrett, but he just uses the initials R.H.J., and that's a small booklet, about three and a half dollars. You can read it in 20 minutes called It Works. And it tells you how to make lists of your dreams, how to make a list of your goals. It's like a to-do list, basically. Um, if we could call it a to-dream list. And then you read the list three times a day. It takes like 30 seconds. And yet... And carry that around in your pocket or your purse and three times a day set aside 30 seconds or a minute to just go down that list of desired outcomes and goals and solutions and results that has a way of counteracting, of, of balancing out, of canceling out a day full of worry and doubt and negativity. But there's also the process of just the dreaming itself, which you may want to program as you go to bed at night that you'll remember a dream and understand it. Or just in a meditation, cut your imagination loose and say, if I could have whatever I want, be whoever I want, create whatever kind of relationships and circumstances I want, or even have an influence, what might those be? And access that right side of your brain. <laughs> it sounds like you've done a good job of developing the left side. Try the right side. Uh, in Pittsburgh, John. Hello, John. He says, excellent class today. Thanks. Appreciate you being here. In Los Angeles, Dale says, thank goodness for your peaceful, loving teachings. Sustaining peace and love makes everything better and better. Well, thank you, Dale. Uh, very much appreciate that. And then Virginia writes back, uh, hello again, Michael. This is an edit to my previous question. I meant to say right brain people like myself. Well, good. Then <laughs> The right brain is the creative side. That's the intuitive, inductive side. Uh, that's the imagination side. So hold on that and uh, dream a little dream. Isn't that the, uh, who did that? The Mamas and Papas? Uh, dream a little dream. Dream a little dream with me. 
And I'm looking over my callers. I got a bunch of good callers here, but uh, no one with their hands raised. Everybody's bashful. Uh, so that's okay, too. I love the system and the ability to go to the callers. And yet, uh, you know, if, if you'd rather use a text message, that's okay. Um, so let's uh, then do our guided imagery, our meditation exercise for the day. Take about 10 minutes to do that, and then uh, we'll uh, wrap it up for the day today. Happy summer, by the way. The first day of summer was uh, this past week. Some, some summertime, so welcome to summer. And let me also say that I am going to miss this mystery school. I should have mentioned this at the top of the program. I'll put it in the newsletter that goes out Thursday. Most people receive it on Friday. A week from today, I will not be doing this program. Okay? I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to the mainland to see family. Uh, I'll be back in time to do this program on... Well, actually, it's sort of complicated. I'll, (laughs) I'll be in Los Angeles on, what would it be, the 12th of July, and we'll do a program on that day, but I think a week from today is July the 5th. We're not going to be here next week. I'm not going to do a show on that week. It's just too hard to explain why, but I will do it the following week, okay? Now, I will do the Thursday video conference this Thursday, but the following Thursday, I'll not be doing that, but I think the group's going to meet anyway, so if you're part of the Thursday video conference, that'll continue uninterrupted. I just won't be there a week from this coming Thursday. I'll see you this coming Thursday, but week after that, um, it'll be the group without me. And I've asked Diane Loff uh, to share that, help me uh, with that while I'm gone. And uh, and two weeks from today, we'll be back with the Mystery School. All right. And the Finding Yourself in Paradise podcast, a premium audio program from FocusedPassion.com, that will uh, continue throughout. All right, get comfortable. Close your eyes and relax. I want you to sit up. Sit up in a balanced and centered way, not rigid. And close your eyes and begin to take two or three slow, deep breaths. Feel the letting go. Pulling in strength, pulling in power as you inhale. And as you exhale, feel the letting go. You can imagine as you inhale, breathing in, the good air, clean and pure and fresh, full of prana and life energy. And as you exhale, breathing out black, oily smoke and soot, out goes the bad air. And so with every breath, you become more energized, sealed, more a being of light, than a being 
merely of form. And now, if you haven't already, begin to allow your breathing to find its own natural rhythm. Ideally, breathing in, that is inhaling through the nose, exhaling through the nose or the mouth. And now your breathing finds its natural rhythm. Put your attention for a few moments on the bottom of your nose, the tip of your nose or a little further back, that ridge line of cartilage between the nostrils, that's where I set up camp. I think of myself as a little point of awareness, right between the nostrils and the very bottom of my nose. And our job is to simply witness the ebb and flow of your body breathing itself all by itself. And as you do this, and form the intention to be interested in watching your breath, as interested as you would be in sitting at the shoreline of the ocean and watching the waves crash, and the ebb and flow of the waves, like the ebb and flow of your breathing, the in-breath, the pause, the out-breath, beyond where you'd normally stop, the pause. Let your body do all that in its own way, in its own time, its own pace or rhythm. As you detach and, in a sense, take a step back, And become not the breather, but the one who watches your body breathing itself. The one who watches and realizes that the heart beats itself. And food is digested. And body temperature is maintained. And blood pressure is adjusted. And disease is put off. And a thousand other Physical actions and reactions are happening unconsciously to free you to be the consciousness or the awareness that simply watches. An awareness that in the waking state is so busy thinking and rebounding from emotional trauma that it rarely watches itself. But now the purpose of this contemplation, this meditative exercise, this reflection is to watch your reflection in form just over there, breathing itself all by itself, feeling very safe and relaxed, very calm and peaceful. 
And imagine yourself in a beautiful place of perfect peace. An outdoor place, a garden deep in nature. Beautiful trees and forests and flowers and in, in gardens and sunny meadows and cool shady places. Even deep enchanted forested places and little streams and lakes. Far from the city, far from the roads, the highways. And I'd have you imagine yourself simply wandering through this beautiful paradise, this place of perfect peace and ideal relaxation. Till you come upon a spot that feels like the perfect place to sit down and rest. Maybe you're beside a little stream or near a small lake or a pond. Could be a warm, sunny meadow or a shady spot beneath a tree. Put yourself down upon the earth or sit on a log or a tree stump. And in any event, feel rooted or connected to the earth, to the log, to the tree stump, to the rock you sit upon, as if you had roots of your own that grounded you and allow any stress or tension that remains in your body to be drawn off, drained away by the earth for all energy, all spirit seeks the earth, the ground. Heaven sent from above, looking for the earth, like a magnet. With the North Pole in the heavens, and the South Pole, like a grounding rod, a lightning rod, in the earth. In fact, consider your spine to be that vertical connection, the bar magnet, the lightning rod, as if the base of the spine is connected to the earth, and the crown at the very top of your head connected to the spiritual realm. the metaphysical, beyond, behind the physical, the source of all things. And so you're like a, a battery that has two poles, a positive and a negative, not good and bad, simply causative and receptive, plugged in 
the sky and earth. And I'd like you to allow yourself to remember a time of despair when you felt there was no hope. A time of desperation, sadness, even depression. Whatever word you might use for the feeling of hopelessness. And the affect that comes with it that this will never end. Face it. Recall it. Let it come upon you through memory, if nothing else. Let it come upon you. Let it get on you and in you and all over you. This is not going to kill you. Let it have its way with you. Feel it. Be sensitive to the despair you've been feeling recently or that you pull now from your memory. And that additional affect that always seems to go with despair and depression, that this will never end. And realize that as a matter of appearance, It appears that it will never end. It feels like it will never end, but bring to mind your understanding that that's only partially true. It's relatively true. For the absolute truth is that it must end. It could not be otherwise for all things past. Everything in the physical world of form is impermanent, constantly changing, dancing, flashing, moving, cycling around and around. And so this cannot last, you remind yourself. The larger truth, the greater truth is that it could not possibly last. And by facing the feeling, allow yourself to even reach out and embrace the feeling. Consider that this despair and this sadness and this depression that has frightened you maybe your whole life is actually more like a little child who's just had a bad dream. And this child is frightened and needs love and comfort. So embrace your despair, embrace your sadness and your heartache your loneliness, your sense of alienation, your depression, 
and the feelings that it will never end and bring it to you. Embrace with arms around your sadness as you would embrace a frightened child. Give it love and comfort and reassurance with simple words like, it's okay, it's going to be okay. All things pass. Everything changes. You're really quite safe. This, in fact, you say to yourself, the frightened part of you, is very much central to our reason for living to master our fear, to domesticate the wild beasts of despair and depression, to make them feel safe and comfortable, to redeem them, to save them, to resurrect evil, fear and ignorance into goodness and love and understanding. And just as if you were hugging and rocking and singing softly to a child that had suffered a bad dream or a nightmare, and you feel the child softening calming, responding to your encouragement to feel safe and relaxed. Part of you was afraid that there is no hope realizes you were just suffering a bad dream called despair, a nightmare of depression and desperation. And you don't have to look real hard in the world to gin up that sadness and that desperation. And I'd never suggest you ignore it, only that you supplement your view of the world with a deliberate intention to find the goodness and the kindness and the love and the harmony and the justice it's in the world as well. And soon you'll find that despair is losing its grip on you. Soon you'll find that it was just as much a, a nightmare as anything else, just a bad dream. That all of your fear is false evidence appearing real, F-E-A-R. All fear is a nightmare. It's never real. It's never true. It's just a symptom to get your attention. It's like a, a gauge or a warning light in the dashboard of your car. It doesn't mean that the end is at hand. It just means pull over to the side and take care of this little problem before you go much further before you go much farther. 
And already, you can feel the despair waiting. Feel it ebbing away. The darkness replaced by the coming of a dawn of some sort, of, of hope, of optimism, of enthusiasm. And then understanding that things generally in your life are getting better and, and better and better. Every day in every way, better and better. And you're contributing to that growth, to that unfolding, to that evolution getting better and better. Now visualize the ideal outcome in your mind's eye. See the goal. See the resolution. Whether it's a material possession that fixes all of this, a relationship, an event, or just a circumstance. See it, feel it, taste it, touch it, experience it, giving no thought as to what it would take to get here. Just immerse yourself in the antidote for despair. Hope. Love. Peace. And understanding. Which you bring with you gently, effortlessly, back into the room, remembering what you'll see in a moment when you open your eyes, wide awake and alert, take a nice, slow, deep breath now, inhaling, fill your lungs, hold as you peek, and now exhale fully, slowly, fully all the way, and open your eyes, wide awake, alert, refreshed, and rested, feeling fine, back in the room, having left the nightmare of despair, sadness, and depression behind you. Round and round we go. Hey, thanks a ton for being here today. I really appreciate it. And let me check one more time to see if any hands are raised. No? Or let me check the Q&A real quickly and see if we have anything else. Looks good. Okay, looks like we mentioned everybody who wrote in. So thanks a lot, gang. Again, we will not do a mystery school one week from today, but we will be back two weeks from today. And I'll do that program not from Maui, but from Los Angeles. But next week will be dark. This coming Thursday, we will do the live video conference. Friday, you'll receive your newsletter as usual. The Focus Passion premium audio podcasts will continue. And uh, if you don't have at least a free account at Focus Passion, why don't you get those seven programs that we've set aside for you? All you need to do is leave your first name and an email address, right? Nobody's going to show up at your house. <laughs> You'll get uh, a free account page with a built-in player and uh, an opportunity to listen to seven programs, four of which are accelerated learning programs on speed reading and study and memory and test-taking and releasing performance anxiety and all kinds of really valuable stuff. 
whether you're a, a student in school or a student of life, and uh, several other programs on top of that. Normally, 99 cents would give you all of those for free if you get uh, that free account. All right, Focused Passion. There's an ED in there. The W's dot Focused Passion dot com. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Aloha from Maui. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner.